Hey, everybody, how are you doing this morning? So good to have you with us. Uh, welcome to the house of the Lord. Uh, as Pastor Steve mentioned, uh, we've been going through our sermon series called The Ten, where we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments. And congratulations, today is the final day. This is week number 10. Uh, we're down to our first commandment, commandment number one. Uh, you must not have any other God but me. That's the first commandment and our last commandment that we're going to be looking at uh, as well. Um, so why don't you go on ahead, take out your Bibles, take out your sermon notes, your app. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God. Let's pray. God, we come around your Word with such an expectation, God, and a faith, Lord, that we're going to hear from you this morning. And so we open our hearts, we open our ears, we open our eyes, Lord, to see and to hear you speak to us this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. We don't take these moments for granted, Lord, and we don't take it lightly that we get to open your word and preach your word and teach your word and hear the preaching of your word, God. We love your word. We cherish your word, Lord, and we thank you, God, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Well, the people of Israel uh, in Egypt, they have become slaves uh, to the Egyptians. They're being overworked. They're being uh, oppressed. They are being weighed down by crushing labor. But in spite of all the hard work, all of the long days, all of the late nights, all of their struggle, they continued to grow in number. And so because of this, Egypt uh, increased the intensity of Israel's labor. Egypt makes things harder for Israel. Egypt is wanting to wipe out Israel. E Egypt is wanting to stop them from growing. And so they put Israel to work. Now, Israel is working the land. Israel is working the fields. They're having to make bricks. They're having to build infrastructures. Israel is having to work to build an empire whose ruler and king uh, has no consideration for who Israel is as a people. They're wanting to bring Israel down. And here's what the Bible says, Exodus 1, 11 to 14. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pittim and Ramesses and supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Israel, this nation who God said to Abraham was going to prosper, this nation who was meant to grow, this nation who was meant to have a great reputation, this nation who was meant to be secure, this nation is not prospering. They are being oppressed. They are known as slaves. Anybody would have been able to spot them from a distance. Their slavish mannerisms would have given them away. The way they looked would have given them away. The things that they wore would have given them away. Ain't nothing great about having a reputation as a slave. And it seems the only secure thing that they've got at this point, the only sure thing that Israel has at this point was probably death. And so to look at everything through the lens of bondage was ultimately to see things through the lens of death. Israel, many people would have died in Egypt, bound, oppressed, and enslaved. Mothers holding the fragile, overworked, and broken bodies of their sons while they tend to their wounds. Women being left widowed with no one to provide for them, no one to protect them, no one to care for them. Children at home waiting in anticipation for dad to walk through the door only to receive the news that he wasn't coming home. 
The sound of mourning is in the air. Women wailing at the loss of their husbands and their sons. The sound of despair is in the air. Children weeping hopelessly because they're being orphaned. The sound of suffering is in the air. Israelites are spending every waking moment under the whip of a slave driver. Who could possibly rescue them from the bondage that they are in? Exodus 3 verse 7 to 10 says this, Then the Lord told him, Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my, of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord goes on to say in verse 9, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptian, uh, Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. God uses Moses as an instrument to show his power. Moses and his brother Aaron, they persuade the people of Israel to follow them. But Pharaoh refused to let the people of Israel go. And so it begins. The Lord, the holy God of Israel, the one true God rescues Israel from Egypt. What you need to understand is that in ancient society, religion was something that was considered necessary. We are currently living in a pluralistic society where you are free to believe whatever you want to believe. But religion was the heart of ancient society at the time. A person worshipped the gods of the town that they lived in. In other words, if they moved city or moved town, as a citizen of that city, they would have to show respect and worship the deities of that city. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that Israel would have fallen into the worship of idols and gods of Egypt, as mentioned in Joshua 24, verse 14. Israel would not have been a stranger to the gods of Egypt. Israel would have heard about the Egyptian goddess, the Nile, uh, Egypt go Egypt Egyptian goddess of the Nile called Hapi. They would have heard of the sun god, Ra. They would have heard the, of the goddess, um, Hatha, who was a symbol of fertility. They would have heard of Sekhmet, who was the goddess over disease. They would have heard about Isis, who was the goddess who protects children. Israel would not have been a stranger to the gods of Egypt, the cravings, the statues of the carvings, the statues, the images, the pictures, the symbols, the significance that each of these gods carried would have been embodied into the environment and the surroundings where every Israeli dwelt. And so for 430 years that they're in captivity in Egypt, Israel is being taught that what you see, uh, that seeing is believing. Have you heard of that before? Seeing is believing. It's this idea that assumes that all reality is comprised of physical matter. In other words, it's this idea that says that if something exists, then it must be visible. And so all throughout the Bible story, we see Israel struggle to trust in a transcendent God that they cannot see. A God who is different from the other gods of their surrounding nations. A God who is self-existent. A God who is omnipresent everywhere at the same time. A God who is spirit. A God who is formless, who is unseen, who is invisible. This God whose name is Yahweh. But you see, this God, Yahweh, who Israel can't seem to wrap their heads around, is about to put his glory on display. First, he causes the Nile, to, the Nile River to turn to blood. Second, he sends the frogs. Third, he causes the dust to turn to gnats. Uh, fourth, he sends the flies. Fifth, all the Egyptian stock die. Sixth, uh, he sends boils. Seventh, he sends hail. Eighth, he sends the locusts. Nine, darkness covers all of Egypt. And tenth, every firstborn son and firstborn of the cattle in Egypt 
die. The invisible, this invisible transcendent God, whose name is Yahweh, made a liar out of every Egyptian god and goddess. The goddess of the Nile couldn't stop Yahweh from turning the Nile to blood. The God of the desert couldn't stop uh, Yahweh from turning the desert into gnats. The goddess over disease couldn't stop Yahweh from sending the boils. The God of the sun couldn't stop Yahweh from covering Egypt with darkness. God not only put them to shame, he was letting every Egyptian and every Israeli know that there is no other God like him. Exodus 9, 14 to 16 says this, then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now, I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with the plague to wipe you off the face of the earth but I have spared you for a purpose to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. You see, this was all too much for Pharaoh. And so he had no choice but to let the people of Israel go. And now this nation of people who were being oppressed, who were being worked to the ground, who were suffering and enslaved, they are now free to go. And so they leave Egypt, the house of bondage, and they make their way over to the promised land. All they had was their leader Moses and their God, Yahweh, whom they had never seen before. This God who had just defeated all the gods and goddesses of Egypt. This God who was faithful to his promise to Abraham that he would bless him and his descendants and that he, the nations would be blessed through him. And so while they are on their way to the promised land, they realize that Pharaoh and his armies have decided to go back on their word and now they're chasing them. So they come to the shores of the Red Sea with nowhere else to go. The Bible says that the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And so they became afraid. They were full of fear. You need to know today that fear will stop you from trusting in God. Fear will stop you from trusting in God. When you are up under fear, it can cause your brain to remember things. An experience that gets you all fearful and anxious can uh, cause you to recall certain things to memory. You can remember how something looked. You can remember how it felt. You can remember how an environment smelt. You can remember how it sounded. And so even though the problem no longer exists, you can react off of a trigger because the fear causes you to recall certain things to memory. And it's not necessarily what's going on that's causing the problem, but it's that the thing that's going on is actually triggering something that went on. Because the truth is nobody ever got destroyed by the sound of hooves. No one ever got destroyed by seeing an Egyptian army. But the sound of the hooves and the sight of the Egyptian army was enough of a trigger for Israelite, for the Israelites uh, to remember and be reminded of the abuse of 430 years in Egypt. Pharaoh and his armies hadn't even touched them, but they heard them coming, they saw them coming, and immediately they were struck with fear. But it's so bad right now, they are cursing the freedom that they're in, and they are craving the slavery back in Egypt. They're saying to Moses, what have you done? Why have you brought us out here? Were there not enough graves in Egypt for us? We would have been better off slaves than to be a corpse in the wilderness. Their fear has got them stuck. Their fear has got them paralyzed. Their fear has gotten hold of them so much that the only thing that they can recall to memory is not how God just saved them with 10 plagues, but the only thing they can recall to memory is the slavery, the oppression, and the bondage in Egypt. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but there are things in your life right now, they are nothing but a trigger. And that trigger is causing you to remember uh, something that did happen, but it's got you acting like it is happening. And so all of a sudden, 
You're starting to react to a situation in a way we've never seen you react before. You're starting to respond to things in a way we've never seen you respond in before. You're flipping out over the situation that is nothing but a trigger. And so you are afraid. You are paralyzed by fear. You're immobilized by fear because it may not be the sound of the hooves. It may not be Egypt's army, but it could be the fear of failing that's stopping you from applying for that job. Or maybe it's the fear of disappointment that's stopping you from trying. Or maybe it's the fear of being defeated that's stopping you from fighting. All you heard was the sound of hooves. But you're so crippled by fear that it's hijacked your peace. It's hijacked your joy. It's hijacked your deliverance. It's hijacked your breakthrough. It's hijacked your faith. The fear has hijacked your opportunity to be free right now. And it's trying to drag you back into something that you're already out of. But because you're so full of fear, you're not even going to try. Because you know that if you don't try, at least you're not going to fail. And you know that at at least if you don't climb, you're not going to fall. You know that if you don't go, at least you're not going to get turned back. You know that if you stay a slave, at least you won't die in the desert. All of a sudden, the feelings, the smells, the scents, the sounds become triggers that make you fear for your life. They become triggers that make you lose your trust in God. They become triggers that make you forfeit the miracle that God has got in front of you. They become triggers that make you lose your reliance, lose your hope, lose your faith in God. And so what do you do when you've got the Red Sea in front of you and Pharaoh and his armies behind you? What do you do when you are stuck? What do you do when you feel like there is no way out of this? What do you do when things aren't turning out the way that you thought that they would? That's what Moses is saying to God right now. What do we do? And here's what God says to Moses. Exodus 14, uh, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Tell the people to get moving. The power of the text is in the fact that God said, get moving. He didn't say, now put on a song and play some music to me. He didn't say fast and pray. He didn't say stand still. All of those things are great. But in this moment where all hell is about to break loose, God is saying, get moving. Because the situation isn't what it seems. It's not what it looks like. I know it looks like there's no way out. I know it looks like it looks hard right now. I know it looks like you're closed in. I know it looks like it's the end. You may be broke right now. Your family may be a mess right now. You're about to lose your job right now. Your health is depleting right now. But God got me here this morning just to say that if you could just get moving, if you could just keep walking, if you could just keep stepping, He's going to do the rest. God is saying to you, you focus on moving and I'll focus on making a way. God is saying to you this morning, church, you focus on walking by faith and I'll focus on bringing you through. There are some of us in the room who have become stagnant because we've pitched our tents in the valley of comfortability. Some of us have pitched our tents in the valley of defeat. Some of us have pitched our tents in the valley of negativity. Some of us have pitched our tents in the valley of fear. And so we've become crippled and paralyzed in our faith. But today is house moving day. You ought to pick up your house, pick up your kids, Pick up your things because this isn't your destination. Where you are paralyzed by fear, God is saying, I'm going to free you. Where you can't seem to see a way out, God is saying to you, I'm going to make a way. Where you are stuck, God is saying, I'm going to rescue you. Turn to the person next to you and say, get moving. Yeah, look them good in the eye and say, get moving. If Rani can join me and Daniel. Yeah, get some petrol. <laughs> the thing about the story 
that I love is that not only does God part the Red Sea, but God also heals the bitter waters in Marah so that the people of Israel could drink. He leads them to Elam where they camp by 12 springs. He sends manna and quail so that the people of Israel could eat in the desert. He sends water from the rocks so that the people of Israel could drink some more. The Lord fights for Israel and wins the battle against the Amalekites. This God who is transcendent, who is invisible, who is formless, who is spirit, whose name is Yahweh, is still coming to the rescue. And this God in chapter 19 of Exodus He's now wanting to meet with his people. Imagine that. After walking with God for so many years and you haven't seen him, and then God is saying, prepare the people, I'm about to arrive. And so they're sitting in their tents in anticipation. Tomorrow we get to see God. He's wanting to reveal himself to them. He is wanting to make a covenant with his people. Here's what the Bible says. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Moses turns, uh, returns to the people of Israel and he tells them what God has just said. And so the people of Israel respond and here's what they say, Exodus 19.8. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. God then descends on Mount Sinai he calls Moses up to the mountain and it's there where he gives the 10 commandments and he starts off by saying, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the land of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You see, even though God had performed all of these miracles all throughout the Bible, the biblical story, the people of Israel, they continue to break their covenant with God. They keep worshiping other gods. They keep committing adultery. They keep murdering. They keep stealing. They keep bearing God's name in vain. They keep breaking his commandments. And the issue is not that God is not staying true to his promise. The issue is that whenever Israel came up against opposition, they struggled to trust God. They're either hung up on God's timing or they're hung up on fear or they're either hung up on the fact that they can't see God. Let me ask you this morning, what are you still hung up on? What is it that is still stopping you from devoting yourself wholeheartedly to God? What is it that is keeping you distracted from God? Whatever it is, I'm here to remind you this morning that God is greater than the Red Sea that's in front of you. He's greater than the bitter waters in Mara. He's greater than your biggest enemy. He's greater than cancer. He's greater than divorce. He's greater than your deepest disappointments. He's greater than fear. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how, how much fear, what fear does to you mentally or physically or emotionally, in spite of everything that fear could ever do to you, God is saying, I'm the Lord, your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. He's made it personal. Church, he isn't, just, he isn't just the Lord, the God. He's the Lord, your God. 
That language speaks of possession. It speaks of belonging. It speaks of intimacy. It speaks of closeness. It speaks of what's mine. And God is saying, I protect what's mine. As long as I'm the Lord, your God, I will keep protecting you. I will keep holding you. I will keep healing you. I will keep walking with you. I will keep fighting for you. I will keep coming to the rescue because I am the Lord, your God. You know, right from Egypt, where God sends us 10 plagues, all the way to Mount Sinai, where God gives and, and makes a covenant with his people. God had showed just how powerful and mighty he is. He performed many miracles. And yet he uses just one word to describe all of those miracles. He says, rescue. He isn't like us. He didn't pull out a notebook and be like, these are the receipts. I did this and this and this and this. No, he uses one word to describe everything that he did. And he said, rescue. You need to know today that God is the God who is still coming to the rescue. And maybe for some of us in the room, we've had the covenant moment like Israel and you've committed and you said, God, we're gonna do everything that you commanded us. We've devoted ourselves to serving the Lord for years and doing his will and living for him but we found ourselves confronted by a mountain and the mountain looks too big and it seems impossible to move. And so we're struggling to trust God. What do you do? Let me encourage you this morning, church. Whenever you find yourself confronted by circumstance, whenever you start feeling like you're struggling to trust God, here's what I want you to do. Look at what he's done. Look at what God has done. You need only to look at everything that God has done in your life to realize that he is still rescuing today. He's still delivering today. He's still saving today. He's still healing today. Cancer could have taken you out, but God rescued you. That car accident could have taken you out, but God rescued you. That addiction could have had you bound, but God rescued you. That relationship could have claimed your life, but God rescued you. That job almost had you, but God rescued you. The devil thought he could keep you, but God rescued you. And there's no doubt in my mind that as I look across the room this morning, Every single one of us has got a story to tell of how something happened so supernaturally that it defied logic. And you couldn't help but look at that and say, man, that was God. That was God. And so I want to close this morning and I want to ask you. And so in response to all that God has done, how can I not make him the Lord of my life? How can I not make him my God? How can I not bow down to him and make him my Lord? Who wouldn't serve a God like our God? The God whose name is Yahweh. He's the Lord, our God, who rescues us from Egypt, the place of slavery. Why would we have any other God but him? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. God, we just humble ourselves and we come before you. And God, we just repent. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness and we say we're sorry for the many times where we've tried to make it about our preference, our comfort, about what we want and what we know, when God, it's only ever been about you. And so this morning, God, we just ask for your forgiveness. But once again, God, we come before you and we say, God, there is no one like you. You are our God. You are the God who is delivering still. You are the God who is still healing, who is still bringing breakthrough, who is still fighting for us. You are the God who is still going before us. And so God, 
we continue to make you our God. We continue to say, Lord, we will serve you all of our lives, and we will continue to lay our lives down, Lord, for your kingdom purposes. And so, God, we honor you. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name. We never like to close our services without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't know God. I don't, I don't know what it means to make him the Lord and the God of my life. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, where does that start? It starts in a relationship with Jesus. You need to know today that God loves you. He loves you so much. He created you. He created you to come into loving fellowship with him. He created you to enjoy relationship with him. But the Bible talks about this thing, and it keeps us separated from God. That thing is called sin. Sin is doing things our own way. Sin is walking in disobedience to God. But also that sin keeps us disconnected from God. The penalty of that sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But, but, but my friend, it didn't end there because God in his grace, he sent his only son Jesus to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay that penalty. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I deserved for all of our sins. And so right now, God is extending to you his forgiveness, his grace, forgiveness for your past, a new beginning right now, and a hope for your life and a future and eternal life with him in heaven. But we must turn away from sin. We must turn away from disobedience. We must turn away from doing things our way. And we must turn to Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, put our trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, because the Bible says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want everlasting life. I want to make God the Lord of my life. I want to make, give my heart to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to, I'm going to count to three and I want you to lift your hand. You can put it down straight away. And you don't have to be shy or afraid in here. No one in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. But we want you to know that we're right here with you. We've got your back and we're standing with you. And so if that's you this morning and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to count to three. You can raise your hand. You can put it down straight away. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, brother. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Hallelujah, Lord. There's one more thing I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith in Jesus. And so why don't you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. And you rose again. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we are so proud of you. Congratulations and welcome home. Come on, let's put our hands together for everyone that made that decision this morning.